Uh, hey, the, the first thing I want to say is this. Hi. I am really glad to be here. Are you glad to be here? Yeah, unless you took a wrong turn, you ended up here somehow and got swept into the crowd. Um, before I get, by the way, if you got a Bible, grab it out. Um, go to First Californians chapter 13. Um, and I actually want to say a couple things before I get started. The first one is this. Um, the, I, I, I'm at a church called Bayside. We have tw- conferences all over the country, stuff like that. So I get to be in a lot of churches. Um, I love your church. And Pastor Dan, um, you are a very rare church. Uh, this place is well-led and well-loved, and you don't get that. And Pastor Dan, I just want to say, you are, an, you are an outstanding leader and an outstanding model for every pastor on this planet. Wouldn't you all agree? So, the, um, so and then, and the other thing is this, I know Shane, okay? I know Shane because we work together, and then he broke our hearts and came up here. And because uh, he's from California, and the last one out will just turn off the lights. Um, and Shane is the real deal, people. It is really cool. He loves God. He loves you. He's a good communicator. He loves the Bible. I mean, this church, well, kind of what I want to say is this, this church has a great past, and it also has a great future, and there aren't very many churches like this in the country. So are you all excited about your church? Good. So am I. Okay. All right. Now, y'all, y'all ready to get to work? Okay. I better ask that again. Y'all ready to get to work? Good. Here we go. I'm going to come out swinging. I have a very low goal. I would like to change the rest of your life. Okay. And I'm going to start with this and then take you into the Bible. And I'm going to, if, you, if there's anything you can take notes on, grab it out and take some notes. Um, Cause I think this is going to be life-changing. Um, my wife, Carol and I, um, we had, we had two boys, thought we were done having kids. And then she contracted pregnancy a third time. And then, and we were hoping, like, so the third time, we were like, okay, I want to know if it's a boy or a girl, because we were hoping for one or the other. And, and, so, and so I'm in Chicago, I'm a professor at uh, two graduate schools and a university, and I'm training leaders all around the country. And so I'm, I'm teaching a class. She goes to find out if it's a boy or girl, okay? I get home first, and she's not there. She comes home a little bit later, and I come rushing out to the front door, and I go, all right, boy or girl. She looks at me, and she says, we better go in the back bedroom. I'm thinking, that's how we got here in the first place, but all right. So... We go, she goes, you better sit down. I sit down. She pulls something out and she says, hands it to me and she says, open this up. I open it up and I'm expecting to see something blue or pink. I open it up and it's double mint chewing gum. <laughs> Just dawning on some of you. And, and she said, we're having twins. And, we, and it was identical twin daughters, which meant we had four kids under four which is like having a bowling alley installed in your mind, okay? Now, they've all, by the way, they've all grown up now and we're feeling really good about it. All four of my kids are off parole, so we're really feeling like good parents. And, um, but a while back, my daughter Leslie came home and she said, they, she said uh, the professor uh, gave us an assignment. I have to write a paper on a leader. I picked you and the professor knows who you are, so they said it was okay. And she said, but I, she goes, so I got to do an interview with you today. And she said, and get this, she looked at me and she said, I got 20 questions and you have to answer them all honestly. And if you want to do that with your kids, 
Well, we have a hot tub in the backyard, so I thought, I said, let's just do this in the jacuzzi. So we go out, I thought, I'm going to end up in hot water, let's just start there. So we go out there, we sit down, she starts firing questions. We talked for two hours. It was awesome. Her last question will change your life. Her last question will, if you walked in here discouraged and depressed, it will, you will bounce back. You can bounce back from anything if you ask the right question. Her last question, she looked at me and she said this, what's the most important thing you do as a leader? Let me ask you, what's the most important thing you do as a teenager? What's the most important thing you do? What is the single most important thing you do? What is it? Okay. And I said, that's easy. And by the way, if you're taking notes, write this down. By far, the single most important thing to do is this. Make sure I stay encouraged. It's make sure I stay encouraged. And she kind of looked at me like you are, like, really? And I said, yeah, because here's the deal, okay? And cover to cover in the Bible, okay? The, there's a dangerous word. And if I asked you, what's the most dangerous thing in your life? What, if you're going, it's drugs, it's this. What's the most dangerous thing in your life? All of us have something, okay? Underneath it is discouragement, okay? And we have a definition of discouragement. We use it Bayside. Discouragement is the anesthetic the devil uses on a person just before he reaches in, carves out your heart, and wrecks the rest of your life. Discouragement is the, matter of fact, I can actually prove it, okay? If you have been discouraged in the last year, at least once, would you raise your hand? Yeah, everybody's hand go up, okay? If you've been discouraged in the last month, at least once, raise your hand. It's going to be everybody in here. If you've been discouraged in the last week, raise your hand. It's going to be everybody in here. If you've been discouraged this morning so far, raise your hand. It's probably everybody in here. If you are sitting next to the main source of that discouragement, don't raise your hand, okay? Husband, that was an idiot test. If your hand went up, you flunked, okay? Now, why is this such a big deal? Because here's the deal. Discouragement is the quicksand that sucks you in and creates the condition, everything else. None, I can't find anything that was wrecked where discouragement wasn't the real cause. Matter of fact, no young guy has ever come up to me and said, I am so encouraged about my marriage, I'm getting a divorce. <laughs> Nobody's ever come up and said, I'm so encouraged about school, I'm dropping. I'm so encouraged about my future, I'm committing suicide. Discouragement is the root of all suicidal thoughts. Okay? Discouragement is the root of anybody. I'm so encouraged about school, I'm dropping out. I'm so encouraged about work, I quit. It is, it, discouragement is literally the toxic condition that creates a future disaster in your life. That make sense? So I'm here to, I basically would like to give you a great rest of your life, okay? Because the opposite of discouragement is hope. And hope is a big deal in the Bible. It's just not a big deal to Christians, which is insane. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says this. God says there are three values that really matter. Now, three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Okay, we'll try it again. First one is faith. Second one is hope. Third one is 
Well, you know, you're just we ignore the middle one. We're going, we talk about faith all the time. This church has a statement of faith. Before Sean Godin, you're going, all right, what's your statement of faith, dude? We have Bible studies on faith. I spent five years cramming three years of school to learn the Christian faith, okay? I mean, it was, it was just crazy. Um, we have statements of faith. We major on faith. We also major on love. Matter of fact, this church has a reputation for unleashing compassion and love into your community that almost no other church does. And I want to say this to you publicly. Thank you. Keep it up. If every one of the 360,000 churches in America unleashed compassion as well as this church, the reputation of Christians in this country would be better. Everybody got that? Okay. But we, we major in faith. We major in love. Nobody ever talks about hope, which is why so many Christians' faces look like the front cover for the book of Lamentations. And the question is this, if you've lost hope, discouragement will wreck your inner life and wreck your future and wreck your relationships. How do you beat it? And so I'll, I want to change your life. You ready? All I want to do is this. What happened is this. My, that conversation with my daughter, Leslie, that conversation with my daughter, Leslie, led to um, me writing a book. I wrote a book called HQ, because your HQ, your hope quotient, is way more important than your IQ to your future. There are a lot of smart people not doing well, okay? This book took seven years to write, because hope is a result of something else. You can't walk in there and go, I'm discouraged, I want to be hopeful. Hope is the result of seven things that you do. Hope is the result of seven things you build into your life, okay? These are the seven things I tried to build into my kids. These are, matter of fact, I autographed this for a guy a while back, and he said, I can't wait to read it, okay? And I said to this young guy, I said, I didn't write this so you could read it. You'll read it. But I wrote this so you could memorize these seven things, and whenever you're not doing well emotionally, spiritually, relationally, you go back to these things and go, which ones of these things are missing, okay? Um, What happened is this. We actually had a ton of these things. We brought up boxes of them. They all sold out for the first service, okay? This is the last one left, okay? Does anybody want it? Oh, dude. How old are you? Wait a sip. Okay, the only deal is this. When the service is done, you got to put it on the table so people can see it, okay? Because here's, I called my office down in Sacramento. They're bringing up six more boxes, okay? And if they'll be here at the six o'clock service or afterwards. You, I think you could buy them afterwards and either pick them up next week or pick them up tonight, okay? Dude, next time I'm back, I want to hear a book report. <laughs> can we hear it for him? Well done, man. Um. All right, so I'm going to give you the three most important questions you will ever ask. If you get these right, you have a future. If you get these wrong, you self-destruct. Okay, question number one is this, okay? Here it is. Are my spiritual batteries recharged or dead? Are my spiritual... Now, you ought to know that because does anybody have an iPhone? Does anybody have a non-iPhone phone? Wow. You're the last one left. The, um, um, the, this, this is my iPhone. This thing costs over a thousand bucks. If the batteries are dead, it is useless. 
Could be a Motorola, okay? The, um, in other words, the, if your spiritual batteries aren't recharged, you're in deep trouble. Another way to put it is this. When, I'm glad you're here this morning. When you strengthen your faith, that strengthens your life. Let me give you a great verse to sink into your life, okay? Isaiah 40, 31 says this. But those who, what's the next word? Hope in the Lord. If you're doing this in your Bible, circle the Lord, okay? Those who hope in the Lord will what? Renew their Strength. In other words, something about having hope makes you stronger. Now, that doesn't stop there. And then it says this, they will run and not grow weary. You will have stamina and a resistance that you won't have. Second is this, you will walk and not be faint, and you will soar on wings like it. You'll go to heights you will never go to if your spiritual batteries are recharged. In other words, when you strengthen your faith, you strengthen your future. You got that? I, by the way, I was an atheist growing up. All right. I grew up in an executive, jet set, Southern California home. Dad was president of his company at age 40. Guys trying to run him for governor. He turned him down. They ran, from, they ran Ronald Reagan instead. That's my family. My dad was an atheist. Um, and what happened is, and I'll tell you the rest of that story in a minute. What happens? is my dad's an atheist. My mom was, was stunning. And then they started drinking. Okay. And, but I followed their atheism. So I was an atheist. And so I was 18 years old. I talked the guy out of becoming a Christian, which does not look good on the pastor's resume. And so, so that's my background. And then I realized, man, there is something about faith. And I get hauled into a great church like this. As a matter of fact, I talked to the guy this morning. He goes, God used this church to save my life. Okay. And, and what happened is this, I ended up my mom and dad, my dad ended up becoming an alcoholic rageaholic. My mom became an alcoholic. They blew up the entire house. They blew up their marriage. They got divorced, the entire thing. Now, their divorce didn't surprise anybody. And the reason is this. None of my, nobody in my family tree's marriage has ever lasted. Grandparents' marriage, divorced. My mom's sisters, married, divorced, married, divorced, married, divorced. Okay? My sisters, same thing. You can take, I just, and then at 18, about six months later, I ended up becoming a Christian. After talking somebody out of becoming a Christian, arguing about it the whole time, I ended up becoming a Christian and start following Jesus Christ and start basically going, I'm going to read this book and do what it says, okay? I'm going to believe it, read it, and do what it says. And um, I end up meeting this gal named Carol in Southern California. We get married, people. My wife and I just celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary, okay? And the, which means, check it out, we have the longest running marriage in the history of my family tree. So I just love it when some guy comes up and he goes, oh, I just don't think the Bible or Jesus or any of that stuff has anything to do with real life. I'm going, are you kidding me? It was the Bible and Jesus and a church like this that broke 140 years of past. You go with my family tree, 140 years, we have the only lasting marriage. Okay, now, I got good news for you. Do any of you come from a background with a divorce in the background? Good. The, just because your background isn't good does not mean God doesn't have a great future for you. Got that? But it's about having your spiritual batteries recharged. This lady, I got a quick question. This lady who has a really big mouth kid in our church, this kid, any city, he's loud and wild. Do any of you have one of those kids? Let me see your hand. Let me see your hand. Way up, way up, way up. Were any of you that kid? Okay. Um, she told me the story. She said, last week I took my son, my whole family, to a fancy restaurant. Her big mouth kid was six years old. They get a table right in the middle, and she goes, she goes I should never have done this, and brought him. And so they end up at this table, 
and her son, her son goes, before she could stop him, goes, hey, can I say grace? And before she could say no, he folds his hands and out loud, and the whole restaurant heard him, prayed this prayer. Dear God, thank you for the food and the fork and the knife and blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, and Lord, I will thank you even more when mom gets me ice cream for dessert. In liberty and justice for all, amen. Well, the lady said the whole restaurant heard it and is laughing, except for one old lady over in the corner who out loud said, and the whole restaurant, including her son, heard this, kids today asking, asking God for ice cream, why I never. That kid's a disgrace. The whole restaurant was shocked and heard it. And her, she said, my son just started sobbing, tears streaming down his face, looking at me and said, is God mad at me? Does God hate me? Is, did I do it wrong? And she said, as I held my son and glared at the lady and said, God is certainly not mad at you, an older guy got up and walked all the way across the restaurant to our table. And she thought, what now? And she said, the older guy looked way, leaned way over the table, pointed at my son and said, young man, I happen to know God. And I happen to know that God thought that was a fantastic prayer. And the kid dries his eyes and goes, really? And he goes, yeah. And then he goes, too bad that old bat doesn't ask God for ice cream. <laughs> and then he had a great line which some of you should amen. He said, a little ice cream can be good for your soul sometimes. So she said, naturally, at the end of lunch, I brought him the biggest dish of ice cream they would bring him. His eyes got really big like saucers, and then without a word, he picked it up. He walked all the way around the restaurant, put it in front of the lady, and said, here, lady, ice cream's good for the soul sometimes. My soul's good already, so this is for you. <laughs> that awesome or what? When I heard that, when I heard that, I thought, that is exactly, exactly it. The single most important thing about you, your future, is not your finances, not your background, not your failures. The single most important thing about you is this, are your spiritual batteries recharged? Because when you are, then you have a future. Everybody got that? Number one, it all starts with God. Are my spiritual batteries recharged? The second most important question I'll ever ask is this, am I future focused? Am I future focused or not? There's, am I future focused and look to the future? Now, the Bible talks about this all over the place. Check it out. The apostle Paul writes to the Philippians, says, I consider myself, I haven't arrived yet. He goes, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. Why is that a big deal? Because the second you look back, if things have not gone well, it's the three G's, guilt, grief, and grudges. Guilt, because what have I've done, locks you into prison. Grief, because of what's happened to me, can lock you in prison. Or grudges, because of what people have hurt me, and I'm resentment, so they're controlling me in the future. Guilt, grief, and grudges will permanently keep you emotionally sick and psychologically paralyzed in a prison of your past. The grace of God wants to free you so you have a future. Maybe the best way to put it is like this. We're trying an experiment. We're going teenagers in here. Yeah, this row looks like you got some. Um, you guys are going to love this, okay? Um, most of the staff's not in here right now. Because you know where they are? 
We're going to try an experiment here at Grace Church. This will be on the news tonight if you do it. I promise you. Okay? We have a crew out there. Where they got duct tape and newspapers, and they are duct, duct taking the windshields of all your cars. So when you get in your car, you cannot see out your front windshield because we've duct taped newspaper on it. And we're going to ask everybody in this church to try a great social traffic experiment. We would like to invite you all today to drive home only looking in your rearview mirror. How many of you are going, I'll do it. Now, whoa, whoa, yeah, what, go ahead. Yeah, there's always one, okay, and every kid in the front row, okay, except for mom. The, um, you know what's funny is, all of you are going to be going, that's insane, Ray. Nobody is stupid enough to drive that way. You're absolutely right. None of us are dumb enough to drive that way. All of us are stupid enough to live that way. Am I future focused? Let go of your past. It is the only way. Let go of past sin. Let go of past failure. Let go of past resentments. Let go of all that kind of stuff. And then you're free to have a future. That makes sense? This is massive, okay? The first question is this, are my spiritual batteries recharged? That's you and God. Second, and by the way, there's an entire chapter in that book, Hope Question, on how to recharge that. Second is, am I future focused? There's seven questions there that'll help you get through. The last question is this, and here it is. Am I living to make great things happen? Am I living to make great things happen? The Bible calls us to take the one life you get to live and make some great stuff. Matter of fact, check this out. Ephesians 2.10. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. In other words, the minute you're saved, you are saved to serve, not saved to sit, not saved to spectate. And that's what I don't like about the American church. I pastor a massive church down there. We got a ton of campuses. The vast majority of our people, you know what they do? Here's the Christian faith. I come into church, I sit, I occupy 18 to 24 inches, I listen, I tip instead of tithe, and I walk out, I get in my car, I'm pissed off about the traffic on the way out of here, and I'll see you next Sunday. That's their Christian life. They're not changing a thing, and especially the last 24 months has wrecked everybody. Would you agree? Okay, and so what's, I, I just figure, I'm going to be real honest with you, I couldn't wait to get to this point. And let me tell you why. Matter of fact, this has been really bothering me, so I thought I'd come up here and let it bother you. You all ready? There is a new idol in America, and it's a Christian. Christians are sucked into this idol. There's a new idol in America, okay? And it's not the old idols, hedonism, materialism, humanism. By the way, those are all still around and flourishing, okay? But there's a new idol in America. And you know what it is? Safety. Play it safe. Would you agree? Yes. We have kids, parents don't let them go outdoors until they're seven. And I think this idol of safety is wrecking churches, wrecking Christians, but it's really wrecking the new generation of kids growing up. Matter of fact, I got so frustrated, I made a list. Would you agree with this? We are the most seat-belted, bike-helmeted, airbagged, hand-sanitized, knee-pad-wearing, gated communities, peanut-avoiding, gluten-freed, hyper-insured, sunscreen-slathering, massively medicated, password-protected, inoculated, vaccinated generation in history. And all it's done, all it's done is make everybody afraid of everything. And it's 
All it's <laughs> the and the problem is this. The problem is this. It's a fake illusion. It's here's a, that here it is. You can play it safe your whole life. You can live in a gated community. You can never give. You can never serve. If you're a teenager, hi there. If you're a teenager, you could go to school every day and go, I'm not going to say anything because somebody might not think I'm cool. I mean, you could play it safe your whole life. Matter of fact, did you lock your car when you got here this morning? Yeah, look around. Good idea. The, um, there's, you can... Here's a, you can spend spend your entire life going, I'm not going to serve, take a stand, do anything, I'm going to play it safe my entire life, and you can still die in a stupid freak accident. So I Googled stupid freak accident. This is, these are true stories. In London, at the turn of the century, a giant vat of beer exploded, and a 25-foot wall of beer spilled into the street, killing 21 people. <laughs> 21 people drowned in beer. Some of you are going, well, if you gotta go. Here's a 1910 in Boston, a giant vat of molasses exploded, and molasses oozed out into the street, killing 14 people. Apparently, <laughs> 21 very slow people. Yeah, you bet. Oh man, molasses! Walk for your lives. Done, done. The um, and the um, and so by the way, you could you could spend your entire life playing it safe and still die in some freak accident. Okay, which is why. So I made a list. Okay, would you agree with this? Most Christians never give. Why? It might not be safe. Most Christians never serve. It might not be safe. Most Christians never share their faith and never take a stand. Why? It might not be. Most Christians never make an impact. Why? It might not be safe. And you know what the problem with that is? I made another list. Playing it safe shrinks our lives. It shrinks our faith. It shrinks our impact. It shrinks God, and it leaves you and I with a shrunken up, shriveled, fear-filled, litter, discouraged heart, and then you die. And you will spend billions of years in eternity wondering why a great big God put me on this planet for a little short time and to make a major impact, which is why you're here, and I wasted my entire life because I'd never go for it because I just hid in a corner afraid. If you're a teenager, stop being afraid of what everybody thinks. Okay? If you're an American, stop being afraid of, the, of what's... Matter of fact, I saw a great t-shirt the other day. It said, normal ain't coming back. But Jesus still is. Okay? The, um, and the, now, here's the problem. So, I wrote, it, I wrote a book, and I wrote an entire chapter calling Christians to stop playing it safe and live their lives for some God-honoring impact. What happened is this. Okay, I, I, I wrote that on a Friday, and this is going to be an embarrassing story to tell you. I write that on a Friday. It's now Monday morning. So, of course, I've forgotten all about writing that chapter. Okay, and it's Monday morning, and my phone rings. And it's a buddy of mine in Cambodia calling from Cambodia. And a few years before, this guy had moved his whole family to Cambodia. No plan to save for this guy. And they moved to two towns, Siem Reap and Svepak, Cambodia. Get this, in both those towns... And this is shocking. Almost 100% of the girls were sex trafficked. Almost 100%. CNN did a story on this. And almost 100% of the girls were sex trafficked. 
And some of these girls sold out to pedophiles up to 10 times a night. And some of them, this is as young as four years old. And this guy goes there, starts this ministry, starts rescuing these girls, and has a big impact on that. And then he, I go, hey, why are you calling me? He goes, well, he goes, I got scared to death this morning. He goes, the general, the general over all sex trafficking in Columbia called me and said, I want you in my office. Can you meet with me? He said, I told my wife goodbye. He goes, I don't know if I'm going to jail. I don't know what's going to happen. Am I getting kicked out of the country? So he said goodbye to his wife, went to the general's office, sat there just like a... And the general said, hey, relax. He goes, I'm here because I admire what you're doing. And the general said this. He said, the cops are so corrupt here. He said, we haven't rescued a girl or made an arrest in 10 years because all the cops are paid off. So every time we go in to rescue all these girls in the brothel, they've all been warned out. They, they've been warned. They're no, nobody's there. He goes, but you're actually rescuing girls and making a real difference. He goes, so here's what I want to propose. Do you want to team up? And this is where it gets crazy. My friend goes, yeah, like, like for what? And the general looks at this pastor and says, I want to form a SWAT team. I want to equip a SWAT team, hardcore SWAT team, of some Cambodians I trust and some Westerners you trust, and we will team up and we will make some real arrests and bust some really bad guys and try to free a whole bunch of girls. And here's my buddy and says, are you up for it? And what do you think he said? He goes, absolutely. He goes, what do you need to get this thing started? And the general says, this is Cambodia. We got no money. We need a quarter million dollars fast. So he goes, do you know anywhere we get a quarter million dollars fast? And my friend says, yeah, let me call Ray. So it's, by the way, it's Monday morning. He tells me this whole story. He goes, so can you get me, can you raise a quarter million dollars and get it to me like fast? And now, Back up a little bit. Friday, I'm writing this book. Don't play it safe. But this is Monday morning, so of course, I've forgotten all about that. Here is exactly what I say. Man, I am so sorry. I just, I just, we just spent six weeks raising money and gave a ton of it away. And I'm afraid if I talk about money one more time in my church right now, they're just gonna kick me out. And I actually said this, I said, it just doesn't feel safe right now to talk about money in my church. And he goes, hey man, I get it. You guys have always been amazing. He goes, God will provide some other way. He hangs up, I hang up. Raise your hand if you have ever had God on your back. Oh man, the next 48 hours, I'm miserable. I finally call our pastors together and I tell them the whole story, the SWAT team, all this kind of stuff. And our pastor's like, that's awesome. What kind of cold-hearted jerk could say no to that? And so I call him back and I go, I got to buy some time. This is November. I got to buy a couple months. So I go, hey, I'm going to need a business plan, okay? You know, because our board's got to, I'm going to need a business plan. I figured it would take him a month to put together a business plan. He texts me back and he goes, it's in your inbox. He, he, he took him five minutes to email me the plan. And I get this thing out. Now, you guys have never seen anything like this. I mean, Pastor Dan and Shane, we get stuff like, we need Bibles, we need basketballs, we need all this kind of stuff. This is a whole different ballgame. We need two surveillance vans. We need two arrest vans equipped with handcuffs so we can arrest people. We need bullets for Jesus. You know, I mean, all this stuff. 
And at the end of it, 200 training manuals, salaries, all this kind of, $250,000. Now, what is it? So I'm going, how the heck am I going to raise this? Well, we got Christmas Eve services, a ton of them, okay? And I went, I'm going to take a second offering on Christmas Eve, okay? People don't even like the first offering. Now we're taking two, okay? So I got up on the Christmas Eve. I told everybody the same story I told you. And I said, we're not keeping a dime of this money, but we are taking a second offering. Let's free some girls, okay? Our people, I'm here to tell you, our people did not give $250,000 on Christmas Eve. They did give over $400,000 on Christmas Eve, okay? And we didn't keep a dime of that. We sent the entire thing over to Cambodia, and that was about seven years ago. To date, they have rescued this. Over 2,000 girls have been rescued by that SWAT team, okay? Almost all of them have been led to Christ. We actually, then he calls, he goes, hey, can you raise some more money? We want to build the first elementary school in Cambodia that's free, state-of-the-art for all these girls. And so all those girls are in Christian education now, getting an education for free in Cambodia, okay? Then the other thing is this, you know, the best part of it isn't just those girls, it is this. And right now, over 140 really bad guys are in prison where they can never again hurt young girls, people. And the reason I'm telling you that story is this. The whole, is that a great thing? Thousands of girls rescued, completely different future, terrible, horrible guys locked in prison where they can't hurt any of those young girls. The entire thing almost didn't happen for one reason. Nope. Nope. You know, it almost didn't happen for one reason. Me. Me. I almost stopped it because I said no. And I said no because I was afraid. And I said no because I ignored every single thing in the Bible about going on, honoring God and going after it. You and I have the power to stop God from doing some amazing, amazing things. I do not want to arrive in heaven and have God goes, man, here's the list of stuff that could have happened. How did it feel living in all that fear? So I'm going to close this in a second um, by giving you two verses. Before that, I want to say this. How many of you are going, I probably needed to hear this? Okay, and this happens all the time, which is cool in your church. How many of you are going, oh my gosh, I wish, ex- I wish these 15 people had been here to hear this. You have a six, we did this the first service, we have a six o'clock service. If there is anybody that you know where they've been mired in discouragement and stuck and need to bounce back, we, uh, the service tonight, I'm going to deliver this message and I'm going to give a crystal clear invitation at the end of it to give your life to Christ and then they can go out and get books afterwards if they want, Okay. And so some of you may go, I'm going to spend the afternoon telling everybody, get your tail to church tonight. The, um, but I want to, but I, with this, I want to close with these two verses. The first is from Jesus, and the second I made up. Because we do a pretty good job ignoring Jesus, wouldn't you agree? Jesus said this, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. Or... Here's the American version. Go into all the world and play it safe. 
Have a really successful career, be as popular as you can, drive nice cars, build big big homes, and lead safe, respectable lives, First Hallucinations 316. God has called you and I to better stuff. Thank you so much for listening. It's an honor to be here. We'll see you tonight.